Hello, guys, and welcome to the Divine Witch Podcast. Today, I got with me Brian Morgan, and we are going to be discussing a lot of things magical, including ceremonial magic. Brian, would you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm well, Brian Morgan, and I've been a part of the pagan community for at least 15, 20 years now. And I've started running uh, Ohio Valley Pagan Society back in 2012 to bring pagans together. And I practice all forms of magic and uh, my religious past, path is a uh, Celtic pagan, uh, specifically Irish Celtic paganism. And, uh, I guess we'll get to know a little bit more as we go along. So. All right. And what started you on your journey? So I guess my journey would go back to about when I was 14 years old and I realized I was good at summoning and uh, I was just kind of finding, trying to find my way and my path and just discover who I am. It was, it was never a question of am I pagan or anything like that. It was, I knew I was, it was just trying to discover what to do with the abilities that I had. And then right around the time I turned 24, 25, I found uh, rune magic, and uh, that was the first time I really discovered uh, the ability to, well, it was like my foundation on what magic is and uh, how to discipline myself and go through an actual system. Uh, I had like a spiritual calling around then, around 2001, and it was... Um, it's kind of like I worked with, uh, it's like the Morgan, the goddess, Celtic, Irish goddess. The Morgan came to me and she kind of gave me over to Odin to work runes. And then I kind of worked that way through that and then uh, continue on to uh, through ceremonial magic. And then um, I worked through uh, Egyptian magic and uh, so it was like, my path has just been more of a, it's something I have to do, not necessarily. I, it wasn't like something I picked. It was just like not being able to practice magic. It was like not being able to breathe. It was, it was like ingrained in me. Uh, I had to do it. Um, so. Okay. And since you've been in it for a while, what do you think is your most struggle with your past? Um. Well, I've really overcome most of my struggles and most of my um, undertakings, I guess. My biggest struggle is really just financial because I do a lot of stuff that's in other countries. Right. Uh, you know, uh, when I was in Ireland, I did a lot of ritual work on sacred sites. And since I did Egyptian stuff a while back, there's still some stuff I need to do in Egypt, which is a bucket list of mine. Um, and really, it's just time and money, um, having time to do it all. Uh, so. so with that being said, what do you think, you know, when it comes to like special talents, things like that, we all have our little something that we do. Like me personally, I'm very good with spirits, reading, things like that. What do you think would be your special little talent? Um, 
the ability to summon spirits, talk to spirits, uh, feel them and hear them. Um, I guess spirit communication in general, uh, that's something I've like always been born with. It's like, I know them when I, everywhere where they are. So um, that and being a really strong empath, I can feel pretty much everything. It's both a blessing and a curse, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> So with that being said, um, when I was snooping on your website, it said that um, you had an experience when you were younger that kind of brought this to you. Was it something that has happened with other people in your family? Was it only you? You know what I mean? Well, my mom's side of the family, they whether or not they want to admit it, they've all uh, had some type of psychic ability. And they've all been drawn to that. Uh, my mom has, my aunt has, and my grandma has. They're not necessarily pagan, but uh, so they don't know. They never went through and tried to um, harness it or um, control it or anything. They just knew that they had it. And it's just kind of been passed down through the family, I would think. Right. One of those things where they're like messages from God, right? Yeah, yeah. So with that kind of like upbringing versus what you do now, I mean, you've been doing this for a while. What was their initial reaction? Like the reason I asked that is because we all have a story from where we went from one thing to another. And some people are still afraid to come out of the closet a little bit. So. Well, I, I well, for, first of all, if I had to live through that whole satanic panic here. So, um, when I was a teenager, my mom like would freak out thinking I was, you know, into devil worship and everything was Satan, um, especially with music. And uh, so I didn't really talk about it with her too much. It wasn't until I got older, I guess in my early 20s, um, I, I never really shied away from it. Um, and she, you know, she, my mo mother didn't really care. My father, he, uh, he didn't really care either. He just wanted me to, you know, follow what I was, whatever made me happy. He never judged me and he was a Christian and, but he didn't judge me being pagan or anything like that. Um, he was really supportive. I think my mom was a little freaked out. Then I got, as I got older and doing readings and stuff, then my mom and my grandma were having me doing readings for them. So. <laughs> I know, right. It's like the, the little medium uh, part where people are like, well, I don't want to know, but since you can do it, show me what you got kind of thing. Right. So with showing me what you got, what got you into the pagan community here in Ohio to where you actually just wanted to be out there? Because leadership is not easy. Um, it takes time, dedication, money. So like, what got you started? Um, well, first, I never went out. To, I never seeked out to be a pagan leader. That was never my goal. It just kind of fell in my lap. But kind of the history of what the, like the pagan community in Cincinnati. So for the long, for a long time, through like the 90s, early 2000s, we had a group called uh, Green Dome Temple, and they did all the pagan stuff. And then there was also uh, the PCCO, which is the Pagan Community Council of Ohio. So it was those two groups. And then they both dissipated um, for whatever reasons. Um, around the mid 2000s 
And so like there was this big period in Cincinnati, there were, nobody was doing anything. There was no pagan anything. Um, right. Witches ball. That was about it. Um, so it was like after around about 2010, 2012, I was like, man, like, why isn't anybody doing anything? I was like, I just wanted to find more pagans to hang out with. And so I just decided to do uh, a meetup at the park. And uh, and about 30 people show up. And then uh, everybody seemed to enjoy it. And then uh, a couple months later, I had another one. I had about 60 people show up this time. And everybody kept wanting me to do it again. So I did it the following year. And then, um, and I still didn't even like have a name for it. I was just making pagan meetup groups. And then after, I think it was like after the third year, um, they was like, well, we need to start a group and a page and blah, blah, blah. So that's why I came up with the idea for Ohio Valley Pagan Society. And then I guess all the old pagans were seeing me do all this stuff. And um, so they started giving me all their groups to take over. You know, it's like, what do with this? It's like, so I guess they people started seeing uh, leadership qualities in me, so they started, you know, wanting me to take over groups and uh, go from there. And then it just built. And then next thing I know, I'm asked to do um, uh, the festival face to represent the pagan community in front of all the other religions. And uh, I know a lot of it had to do with so. Before Ohio Valley Pagan meetups and all that, I was a fire performer for years, and I made a lot of contacts through the city. I learned how to um, uh, brand yourself online. I learned about uh, internet marketing, uh, presentations, and you know just how to put yourself out there and market yourself as you know a business or a brand. And I took that knowledge and used it with the Ohio Valley Pagan Society. So we were easily accessible and easily to find online anywhere. Um, so that was that was a big thing because um, everybody was finding us and because they couldn't find any other pagans or witches or anything. So like we was getting interviews, um, City Beat and uh, radio shows. So it just kind of just grew on its own, I think more so the fact because we was easily accessible um and then yeah it just grew and grew and each time every year we had the uh pagan picnic it's like i think the biggest one we had was about 200 people and it was like all right we're gonna start you know getting a reserve spot because the free ones are outgrowing themselves right do you ever have that feeling like you just kind of step back sometimes and go where am I? <laughs> because um, I know for a while there was the Ohio Pagan Alliance that was going on. You work with different groups. You got um, other groups that you partner with for Dagda's Cauldron, which helps set up little cauldrons throughout the cities and collect food. Like it's a lot to go on. So, like, how do you find the balance between your spiritual self and what you do for your own self? Well, it was just like, as it got to a point, especially now, it's like, okay, now you have a responsibility. It's like the gods put you in this position, and this is what they, they're, they're tasked for you, because you, you're put here for a purpose, 
And so it was like, okay, you're in this leadership purpose. So now you can't just like up and quit because you have this responsibility right. to the community and now they're dependent on you. And if you quit, then it all crumbles and falls apart. Because again, we go back to nobody else is doing it. Um, so you just gotta, you know, keep going. And it's it's not about your 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 personal needs. It's about the community's needs. And you just that's as a leader, you gotta understand about putting everybody else before yourself. So it can continue. Um, so I mean it it just merges together between my spiritual practice and uh, my community work. So speaking of giving self so much, um, you do a lot. <laughs> like I was going through your different groups and organizations you're a part of, and I'm like, do you have time to breathe? <laughs> no. But that being said, <laughs> um, you kind of want to talk about it for anybody who may not know some of the things that you're a part of. Uh, groups or practices and all that? Is that what you're... All of it. All of it. All right. Well... I guess we'll start with, uh, I was part of the room guild. I'm no longer, um, just cause I had other stuff going on. Uh, let's see. Well, in my, we'll just go through my practices, what I've went through and what I've been initiated through. So my initiated practices, and just so we understand the idea of initiation is that you, you're working through a, an entire course of material and then person or group would initiate you, initiate you into that practice where you would speak an oath to whatever divine being what have you. So with those, let's see, um, of course, I went through um, runic practices, um, been initiated to those, and um, I went through Aram Solus, the Hermetic Order of Aram Solus, which is a um, ceremonial magic group. Um, Egyptian magic as an Osirified magician. Uh, uh, Waitara Buddhism from uh, the Gandan Monastery that's here in Cincinnati. It's a Tibetan Buddhist group. Uh, uh, Alexandrian witchcraft. Um, at second degree, I could get my third degree at any time. I just time restraints. Uh, so that I believe is everything I'm initiated in. But I've also practiced um, shamanism. Uh, I took classes through uh, Ken Day. He uh, teaches uh, shamanism classes and plus some other. Um, solo classes um, from other teachers, one-on-one -on -one classes here and there. Right. Um, what else? So I can think of at the moment, I know there's more. Um, well, um, I did go through this, the Golden Dawn, um, I went through their program. I'm not a part of the Golden Dawn, but I've worked through the majority of their books. And I did that self-initiation through there. So I think that's all of them. Well, now, as I was listening to you, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> like I knew of some, but I'm just like, that's a lot of time, a lot of dedication, a lot of years. And I give you kudos for that. 
Speaking of time and dedication, because we are here for ceremonial magic, so to speak. And since you have so many different um, belief systems, like how does it differ between each one or does it really um, for you? What are your main tools? Well, ceremonial magic, as like the name suggests, it's a uh, it's a system of magic based on well, not based on, but um, it'll be very well. It's a, as it says, ceremonial, ceremonial ritual. You have long drawn out rituals. It's not like folk magic or certain aspects of uh, witchcraft where you can just do a thing here and you know. With ceremonial magic. It's like you have rituals for your tools, your robes, everything you're going to use that all have to be done during a certain day and time. And then you have your take them tools and use them in a ritual, uh, which is also specifically time. There's like there's a lot of specifics to ceremonial magic. There's many different traditions of ceremonial magic. Uh, <clears throat> it's. Yeah, it's the idea of raising your consciousness. Uh, you're doing a lot of spirit communication. Um, so you have this idea of low magic and high magic. Low magic being you are doing things that are affecting the material plane. Um, things like getting money or getting a job. Things that, you know, physical things. Or you have high magic, which is all about raising your consciousness and working with whatever spirits you're working with, be it, you know, uh, gods, angels, demons, etc. Um, but there's a lot of protection with that because then you're opening gates to other worlds, so you need that protection around you. Um, it's a lot of um, translated grimoire work. Um, that you could trace a lot of them, you could trace all the way back to the times of antiquity. A lot of these practices, like um, the school of uh, the Pythagorean school, um, that uh, Pythagoras uh, taught, and then a lot of uh, other like Egyptian magic. And then, of course, I mean, there's so many different systems. I mean, the most notable being the Golden Dawn, and then you have the OTO. Um, so, I mean, you could go on about the different groups. Um, Order Aurum Solis, the group I was, uh, I, well, I still am initiated in, um, they focused on Greek and Egyptian magic. And they do a lot of work through what is known as the uh, Greek magical papyra and uh, stuff like that. And, you know, they have their own personal practices. So, when it comes to ceremonial magic, and itself what do you think was the hardest thing to learn because like you said there is so many different things that you have to do when it comes to time and learning and things like that what was one of the things that you would have a tip for somebody who's about to get into it so that way they don't have to struggle as hard the easiest way to get into ceremonial magic is the book modern magic by donald donald michael craig he took all the stuff mostly golden dawn stuff and it's just like an easy um how to workbook step-by-step workbook um i worked through the whole book and i still work through it sometimes today and that, that's that's like a big springboard for all the other systems um because it's just easy to get through and it understand it's like most of the stuff that was out there 
before that was a lot of like translated grimoires. So you didn't really have, and a lot of them are hard to understand because they're translated from Latin and French and it don't translate well. And it's like, they don't really give you, it's not really written for the modern, modern day. Yeah. <laughs> so that book is one of the easiest things to start with, but it's something you still got to stick with. Um, ceremonial magic, uh, I guess one of the hardest things for people to do is really to stick to a routine. Because um, it's all about building your consciousness, um, building your magical persona um, in front of the spirits. And then like if you're working with a group, it's all about building the egregor. And if, you don't, if anybody doesn't know what an egregor is, it's kind of like a group consciousness that um, where everybody's focused on the same thing that kind of becomes its own entity in a sense. It's like um, its own subconscious and consciousness combined as one. Um, you know, it, it, like any, like whether it be a church group or a coven or whatever, that's kind of like what you focus on. It's like one focus point. Um, so like there's these sets of practices that get you in tuned with the groupy greater um, so that when you get together and do group work, you know, you guys, all the energy is being directed, you know, to a single point that everybody knows, you know, what's going on and there's no conflict in that. Uh, and then there's, uh, well, go on, <laughs> but, uh, then you get into ideas of like uh, cosmic meditation, um, which is the idea of going to the astral plane and working with deity or spirit as a group. And you're kind of, you know, it's kind of like a symbiotic relationship. You're given spirit energy and they're, you know, teaching at the same time. All right. So what tools do you personally suggest for those who are starting out? Like, I know that there's a few that differ. Some say the chalice, the sword, the shield. What is it for you that you would highly recommend? Um, well, the main tool, as most of you probably know, is the athame. I mean, you need that beyond anything. You use that for casting circle and banishing. Um, so that's one of the first things you learn and you should you should learn if you're practicing any form of magic is how to banish because um, if you're you know working with spirits especially you find one you don't like you may need to get rid of it real quick that have to happens often more than not mm -hmm. more than people think so Let's talk about possession and trance work when it comes into ceremonial magic. How do you, how do I put this? How does that work for you? Well, two different things. Possession is uh, spirit entering the human form or human body. And uh, sometimes it could be subtle. Sometimes it could be, you know, exorcist, but um which is rare, very, very rare. Um, well, and that just kind of continues from what I just talked about banishing. Um, that's the thing about, especially with ceremonial magic, is like everything has to be blessed. 
and you have to do this ceremony for each tool um, so you can use it. And sometimes it's used to control certain element, elemental spirits or certain spirits in general. Um, so that when something like that, you know, when you are dealing with possession, you know how to control it or remove it if need be. And, but then you have other ceremonies that, you know, you're purposely having yourself possessed or you have somebody else there who's possessed and, and whatever entity it being um, will speak through that person, which is kind of, I guess you would think of the same way as a Ouija board, um, but in flesh. And, but you also right. like the danger in that is like the person who is controlling everything. Um, you, you need to make sure that they know what they're doing so that they can get rid of it when need be. Um, trance work. So it's kind of the same idea as self hypnosis. So uh, you're going into, you know, you either astral projecting or going out of body um and the ideally you would be raising your consciousness but i mean that's not always the case um and either that, that that's giving you more of a spirit communication contact um or deity contact or you're just asked for traveling uh and there's a hundred different forms of doing it Okay, give me a second. I thought you were going to go a little bit longer than that. So let me see what I got for you because I got my little cheat sheet. Okay, so the next one is actually from a subscriber on our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. And they want to know how you use sex magic in your ceremonial rituals, if at all. Um, okay, well, <clears throat> first a disclaimer. If you're practicing sex magic, it should be with somebody that you're already having sex with, that you're already in some type of sexual relationship with. And it should never be anybody that tells you that you have to have sex in this ritual to gain something. It should never be the case. So just had to put that out there first. That's how cults are made. Yes, exactly. Um, so, you know, yeah, you should always be both participants should always be willing. Um, so there's different forms of sex magic. Um, so for couples, so your first form would be to, it's kind of like spell work where you enter ritual space and then the both of you are, you've got a goal in mind. like. Again, something simple, like say you want to get a certain amount of money or something. Um, you guys would both focus on that as you're having sex. And then it's more about the feminine aspect to have the orgasm rather than the masculine. And it's kind of like the masculine's feeding the energy, the feminine's um, drawing in the energy. And then it's her orgasm um or their orgasm sorry um is uh is what's going to project that energy out into the universe so it's kind of like the feminine would be uh the altar and the male is uh sending that energy through her and then the second kind of 
sex magic would be. Now, this is this is more along the lines of drawing an energy together to, um, you know, bond that relationship. So it, think of it kind of like tantric yoga, but you're doing more a, more of a uh, ritual aspect. Um, it's kind of really you do a lot, you, you you can start off doing tantric yoga, and then you know you you both are meditating and visualizing the same thing, drawing in the same energy, and working that together, which builds your relationship together. Um, you're ultimately becoming one being as you're working together, um, and then you have solo practices. Um, on your own, um, one being, of course, the same way as the first one I talked about, where you're sending out that energy. And then there is this idea of working with deity or spirit. Um, and again, you're doing this, it's, this is all, you, you're doing this through sacred space. So it should be treated as any other ritual. You're just adding the orgasm element to it. Um, to send out that energy but when you're working with spirit it should be by um their permission it's just not like you go into a ritual and it's like oh i'm gonna have sex with this deity and visualize that it's probably a bad idea you should wait for again you know it should wait for that deity's consent um so so the best way i uh, describe it uh, i mean there's different forms of it So when it comes to that sexual magic energy, like me personally, I always say it's about the buildup yeah. on how you do it, because the more energy you bring in, the more longer you elongate it, the more concentration when you hit that climax state. So with that being said, we've hit the climax on this topic. So let's move on. With that being said, now, when it comes to offering, a lot of people over the last couple of years have asked me, you know, what you're offering to Hecate, what you're offering with this. When it comes to ceremonial magic in particular, is there certain offerings that are more favorable or does it actually depend on who you're working with? Yeah, it depends on who you're working with. Like, like when I'm working with Morgan, you know, her being my main deity, I mean, of course, I've got personal things that I offer her, but like, you know, I'll give her whiskey and every once in a while I'll like might offer a cooked steak or milk. Um, those are things specific to her. Whereas versus if I'm giving uh, offerings to like Egyptian deities, um, you know, there's there's a lot of wheat and honey involved um, as far as food offerings and in wine or from doing Greek deities, of course, they're big on wine as far as offerings go. And um, it really just, you know, and in specific deities, you know, it really just depends, you know, th things that are attached are symbolic to their lore. All right. And speaking of symbolic, let's go to your Celtic side a little bit and tell us about your new little group that people can find information on and what got you wanting to not necessarily leave Ohio Valley Pagan Society, but branch off to where you're more focused on the Celtic aspects. Um, so 
all my paths that I've practiced pretty much lead me to this Celtic path. Um, as I, I stated at the beginning of when I started, you know, it was it was the goddess, the Morgan, who came to me, and it was with her is like it was it was like she directed me on what to practice, on what what where to go, who to see. You know, I would just kind of follow her guidance, and then I. Uh, I was trying to build a practice for her, specifically for her, because there wasn't nothing out there. And there's not a lot out there that was specifically Celtic, as far as a Celtic practice. Um, I mean, there's Wicca, but Wicca's Wicca, and Wicca's not a right. religious practice. Um, I mean, it's a religious practice, but it's its own thing. Um, so everything I'm doing has been working through that. So I've been working, I've always been working with the Celtic stuff on the side. And now I decided to focus more on it fully. Um, as far as learning the language of the Irish language, learning the lore, um, the history, the archeology, span all of that. So I started this group recently, which is called Fiat Cree Hearth, which is Irish for Ravenheart Hearth. Um, and in this group, is more you know we're focused on studying the language the lore and the archaeology and uh honoring the gods and working with the celtic uh deities and holidays um i wanted to mention too kind of got ahead of myself here but like also what led me up to this is that one of the tasks the morgan had me do was write out an actual uh, ritual magic program specifically devoted to her. And I've been giving that to people here and there that are, that work with the Morgan um, to let them work through it. And then with Fiat Creehearth, it's all about the, you know, the entirety of the Irish pantheon um, and working all that together. So um, that's just been my focus. Um, and it's just, I guess with doing the pagan community stuff, it's, you know, it's just, I, it takes up pretty much all of my time. So I had to step back and not do as much as what I'm trying to do now because I was just doing so much and I'm getting that burnout. I mean, I've been doing it for over 10 years now. And the wall. <laughs> yeah. I know that feeling. <laughs> And so, like, I just needed to step back and just focus on me and my stuff that I needed to, you know, work through my spiritual uh, practice, and that being the Celtic Pantheon, and it's just, you know, um, putting that out there so people um, can uh, find, you know, sorry, other Celtic pagans can find that we can work together because, you know, we're a pretty small group. See, it's so funny being like Greek eclectic. I always feel like Norse and Celtic and all that is a bigger group because that's what you hear most about. And occasionally I'll get people who are Greek and I'm like, oh my God, hi. <laughs> but it's like, who? it's like a Pokemon or something. See, you know I, mean, I, mean? I mean, a lot of Greek dedicants. Um, probably almost as much as I meet with Norse. Um, so, you know, Norse is probably the biggest thing right now. Uh, Celts, man, it's like few and far between, unless you're a druid, 
and you study druidry, then you know you're a little you know find a few more. But as far as like solo practitioners, right? Many. So when it comes to the Morgan, um, there's a lot of people who get confused on the symbolism between her and Hecate. I get that a lot. Like, how can I tell the difference? So with that being said, that's my first question. How can you tell the difference? And two, since you said that she came to you, is that a story you wish to share or no? Um, well, to answer your first question, uh, really Hecate is more akin to Bridget than she would be uh, Marion because Hecate is, you know, the go a goddess of witchcraft in the hearth um in the home she's more personal um she works with the, you know the common people um as versus morgan you know her name itself it means the great queen so she's got this royalty thing um she's a goddess of magic but she's not necessarily part of the hearth she's more you know um akin to working with the dead um, a guide of the dead, uh, you know, she's magic, sovereignty, and that type of thing. Um, but Bridget, um, you know, she is of the hearth. She is of craft, craftsmanship. She's of uh, magic. Um, so, like, that's why I don't really understand what people, like, confuse Hecate with Morgan when she's more, you know, more like Bridget in that aspect. Um, I think it would be more of the spiritual descent, the association with land, sea, sky, the underworld, uh, when you're coming from a Greek perspective, and then you know how it goes. Yeah. Symbolism with the gods is vast, especially when it comes to animals, signs, symbols, things like that. There may be similarities, but there's always differences. So speaking of similarities within your path, what other gods or spirits do you work with, for one? And two, normally in different traditions, when they're calling the elements, they have different names for those elements as far as the directional paths. Is Celtic have some sort of version of that? Um, like the names of the elements or just? Yeah. So... Irish specifically, so you have the four treasures, which is uh, uh, the Sword of Light, which is uh, Nuada's sword, and you have uh, Luke's spear, you have uh, Dogma's cauldron, and then you have uh, the Stone of Destiny, pronounced, um, and they all um, and they all correspond to the elements. Um, so you would have, uh, so the sword of light, new out of sword, um, would be air, was our, and Irish, and then, um, Luke Spears, fire, just, uh, Tana, and, uh, and then the cauldron being, uh, Ishka, Ushka, for water and then uh, the stone being uh, north. Um, and then you have the four, uh, I'm having a brain for it right now. There's a, uh, there's the uh, 
four kingdoms associated with each one. So, I mean, I mean, so yeah, they do uh, translate into uh, four elements with Celtic. Don't you just love those questions that make you think and you're like, <laughs> I know, I know it, but I'm like, eh. Yeah, just trying to remember <laughs> all the names. So uh, with your path, since you do different forms of magic, when it comes to your circle casting, is it pretty much the same as any other circle casting? Or is there something that you do within the Celtic system that makes it more towards that path? Well, I had to build my own path, or not my own path. Well, did I build my own path? But I had to build my own ritual circle because there was nothing out there. Um, but I used the basis from, I guess you would consider it ceremonial because you know after working ceremonial magic you get used to doing these long elaborate rituals so you like if you're not doing that you know right i need more um so i just kind of built my own thing um wrote my own thing out so i have a, a regular uh opening ritual you know and uh, a lot of it's in irish irish gaelic um is that the one you used before at Ohio Valley Pagan Society? Yes, yeah, one I normally use. The one I was like, oh my God, I hate you so much when I looked at it and I was like, ah. Yeah, it's it's a hard language to learn. Uh, Especially on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I think the hardest thing about it is that because like normally when you're learning a language, you'll have like um, vowels and consonant clusters that make a certain sound. So and like the vowel clusters were pretty simple. It's like these two letters make this sound. And then when I got to uh, the consonant clusters, that was a whole nother thing. It was, they gave you a map. And, and <laughs> like these two clusters and these two clusters together will make this sound and then if it's with this it'll make this sound and then you know if it's tuesday then it'll make this sound over here and then this sound will make this sound why because it's five o'clock somewhere you know? right and i got the little short <laughs> version like here's a paper and i'm like right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah the, after that day i was like if he does that to me again i'm gonna kill him <laughs> um speaking of killing things when it comes to ritual clothing <laughs> what is your garb look like is it a certain thing that you put together is it more traditional is it a little bit of both or do you just go sky clad uh well some personal rituals i'll do sky clad but it kind of just my current ritual uh clothing it was it was kind of a combination of things um i wear red pants white robe and a black over robe um and so when i first started out with um rune magic there was those certain clothing i was wearing and one of those were red pants and then um so if you don't mind me asking what's the symbolism with the red pants um well from what i've read that people of significance in Viking culture wore red pants being uh, magicians or gothies or diviners or whatnot. Um, from what I read, I don't know. I haven't looked in the actual history. So, um, and that was part of our garb for the Broom Guild. Um, it was usually red pants with a blue shirt. 
Um, then when I started doing Golden Dawn Magic, well, we had white robes. So, and it was the white Dow robes with the long um, sleeves at the end. And then, uh, so I added that. And then when I was doing Alexandrian witchcraft, um, I was wearing black robes. So, and then when I got done, I'm like, I'm wearing red, white, and black. That is all the colors of the Morrigan. She snuck that in. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at with that. You're like, well, okay, this is my life now. Yeah. So speaking of your life now, um, for those here in Ohio, they know that you run the Ohio or Cincinnati's Witches Bowl. Uh-huh. So this is your last year doing it. You want to talk about it? Well, this is the first time anybody's hearing that. So I know. Um, I figured they'd get the tea here. No. Um, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's just a lot more work than I have time and money for. Because, um, you know, raising money for it is really difficult and it, it's, it's a lot to run. And, uh, you know, the venue I work with, the folks at Leap and Lizard, they've been excellent. They were some of the greatest people I've worked with as far as um, venues go. Uh, they really love having it there. Um, it was, it, it was really, you know, it was great to uh, be handed it to, um, you know, Bonnie, who used to run it, you know, and she decided she wanted me to take it over. I uh, remember when you got it, you were so excited. You were like, yeah. guess what I'm doing? <laughs> yeah, and it, it, you know, and I was like, you know, going, again, going all the way back to my fire performing days, I knew, already knew how to run events and make them successful. And I knew my audience and I knew how to cater to them and give them what they wanted. So the first year that, you know, well, we were supposed to do it in 2019 and then, or 2020, sorry. And of course COVID happened, so we couldn't do it. So we, the first one was last year. And we had over 400 people show up. I was surprised. Um, you know, it was, it was a huge success and, and it was a lot of fun. Um, we're doing it again this year and it's just, I would like to re I would really like to keep doing it. It's just funding and time. Um, well, you know, since it is your last year and we're still in the tea, so to speak, are you going to do something big and fun with it? I mean, if you're going to go out, you might as well go out with a bang, right? This year, we're doing a 1920s theme, uh, Roaring Twenties. Got more last dancers that. coming. Um, See, so we have burlesque dan dancers. Uh, we have a belly dance troupe. Um, Cindy West is going to be DJing for us again, and she's bringing uh, uh, a goth club favorite, Christopher favorite. It's going to be joining her for a DJ. Um, so, and we're still trying to get uh, our band canceled. So we're trying to find a new band. Um, so, still a lot of work and that will be out. You should be able to buy tickets by the end of the weekend. Uh, so we'll have that up. And, uh, so. Yeah, because a lot of people have been asking me because I'm like spreading the word like the gospel. And I'm like, I don't know. It'll come up when it comes up. It's like well, all we, good things. You got to work it to pop it. So well, well, the inter entertainers keep changing on us. So it's like we have well, them. We don't this have is the perfect them. platform to use. I mean, you know, we'll get to your details here in a little bit. Mm 
Yeah. But, you know, use the platform wisely. Get people. Anyway, with that being said, <laughs> let's talk about the Pagan Picnic, because that is another one you've been throwing around that you need a break from. And I have conned you into joining forces with me. Yeah. Want to talk about it? Well, my idea was, is that I was just going to do the four Celtic festivals, which is uh, Samhain, Embalk, Lunasa, and uh, Bieltana. And, uh, and I was just going to focus on doing those and just doing public rituals. Um, but um, Lunasa is usually part of the pagan picnic, so might keep doing that. Um, this is what I have time for right now, honestly. Um, and then I'll be helping you with the Witch in the Woods. And uh, I'm sure we'll do stuff there. So. <laughs> right. God's know I need help with the Witch in the Woods. All right. So with that being said, where can people reach you? Um, well, there's uh, my website, Mystic Morgan com there's uh ohio valley pagan society website which is uh, ohvpagansociety.com and then my celtic group is ravenhearthearth.com all right and just so everyone out there knows as always when it comes to anything on this channel we'll make sure to link it all down below as soon as i get the references that were referenced no puns intended. So with that being said, always remember friends, no two witches what you like.